0: The scripture reading this today is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter twenty eight, verses ten to twenty two, which can be found on pages twenty seven and twenty eight of your Red Pew Bible. That's Genesis chapter twenty eight verses ten to twenty two. Jacob's dream at Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. The word of the Lord.
1: Well, once again, Knox Church, we're home, back home in this renovated sanctuary welcome back and as we re-enter this space as we reflect on god's goodness his faithfulness his kindness to us it's also good for us to ask what kind of place is this going to be and as soon as you ask that question you begin to explore another question of what kind of people are we going to be because the church is never just a building the church is always first a people god's people But our building, we hope, reflects something of who we are as a people and who God is. So, what kind of space will this be? This morning we heard the story of how God encounters a man named Jacob. One thing I love so much about the Bible is that it never edits out all the rough edges around the people who seek God out. Never tries to cover up the broken realities of people who look to God. It's just oh, refreshingly honest. And here, Jacob, the Bible makes no attempt to hide the fact that Jacob is a shyster. Oh man, he was a scoundrel's scoundrel. Just before this, Jacob has, has scammed his brother twice over, and then And then he starts to pick on his old blind father and dupes him as well. He is a hustler. He is a con man. He's going to do whatever it takes to get up the ladder. This is Jacob. And now he's on the run. We encounter him. He's on the run. He's scared for his life. And he comes to a certain place and he stops because he's just tired of running. And the sun has set and he finds a rock and says... This will be home tonight. And then while Jacob sleeps, God runs headlong into the runaway to this shifty character. God comes to bless. God comes to him in a dream and promises him every good thing he could imagine. God repeats the promises he has made to his grandfather, uh, Abraham, to his father, Isaac, repeats all those promises, and then he says, I will be with you, Jacob, wherever you go. I will go with you. I'll never forsake you. I will do all that I have promised you. And all this to a crook you'd never want to invite into your home because you don't know what he would head off with. God reveals himself as this God of beautiful, scandalous grace. this lavish, crazy love. Here is a revelation of God as bright as the morning sun, isn't it? God comes not for the rich, for the well-off, for the well-put-together. God comes for the outcast, for those tripped up in all their bad choices. God comes to people who are running from all their failed dreams. Jesus, who God has come to us in Jesus comes for all the moral misfits, the spiritual zeros, the lost causes in this world, the flunkouts, the dropouts, the burnedouts, the broke and the broken, the, the drugheads and the divorced, the brutal and the bigoted. He comes for the least and the last and the lost. He comes near to us. And how we need to hear that, because Christianity so quickly is in danger of becoming replaced by moralism. You know, the sense of that God won't accept us unless we show him what really fine spiritual people we are. Unless we present to God our sterling moral resume and say, look God, I'm a really good person. You need to accept me. I don't know how many times I hear that from people I interact with. I'm a good person. You don't need God. We are saved by the radical, embracing love of God and Jesus, the God who comes near to the scoundrel Jacob. And because this is the God we worship, a God of grace, this church, this place must be a place of grace. The kind of home that will be a place for all the fugitives in this world, for all those on the run, for all those in trouble, for all those trying to climb the ladder, for all those hustling God and others. Because this is the father's house where the prodigal gets welcomed home, where there is music and dancing and a feast is thrown because the one who was lost is now found. This is a place, friend, of God's extravagant grace, and I'm so glad that this building has emblems of what that is like. This, this font, this baptismal font, is a beautiful thing. It was in the old sanctuary. It has a beautiful, prominent place in this new sanctuary. It speaks of our identity in Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus was baptized. The words that came were, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And baptism declares the very first words that God speaks to us are not a finger of judgment it is. You are my child. With you, I am delighted. You are my beloved. This is the beautiful words it speaks. Or think of our front doors. I love those doors, I got to tell you. Those beautiful glass doors that go out into Spadina and then come back in. You know what those doors say? They say a whole lot. You know what is written above them? Absolutely nothing. Those doors open up without any editorial comment on who comes in. They just say, open up and say, come and see Jesus. Come and enter God's kingdom of light. This is a place of grace, friends. So God encounters and reveals himself to this shyster Jacob in a dream. Crazy little dream he has, right? God has, it's the stairway that, that runs from heaven to earth. And on the stairway are angels going up and down, descending and ascending. The image of a stair or a ladder, it's a, it's a pretty common way people understand how we relate to God. Most people believe that in religion, how, what we need to do is climb up the ladder to where God is. It's about what we need to do so that God will accept us. Every other world religion actually is a stairway to heaven. Buddhism has the eightfold path. Islam has five pillars. Judaism has a law code of ten commandments. Hinduism has law of karma and the cycles of samsara leading to nirvana. All those are are ladders, stairways by which people go up to God. That's not what's going on here at all. Jacob, the ladder climber, doesn't set a foot on that stairway. It is the angels going up and down. It is a picture of the connection between heaven and earth. It is about God's power coming near to us, even if we can't see it. You know, Jesus helps us understand this dream because there was a, a time where he references it. He's talking to his disciples. He's calling a variety of people to him. And uh, he calls to someone named Nathanael. And he says, now here is someone in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael's shocked by that. And he says, how, how do you know anything about me? I've never even met you. And Jesus said, I saw you sitting under the tree over there. But, Nathaniel, you have not seen anything yet because you are going to see heaven open up and you're going to see angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man, who is Jesus. Jesus is saying, Nathan, Nathaniel, I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the one who bridges the gap between heaven and earth, between the divine and the human. Come and follow me. You don't have to climb any ladder. You just need to follow me. Jacob, in this dream, is he's blown away by the revelation of this dream because Jacob has always thought that the gate of heaven is somewhere up there, that he has to climb. His understanding was common to every other religion. You climb up your way to the gods, but Jacob's dream is of a gate of heaven, a stairway by which God comes near to us. It's Jesus who's the gate of heaven, who comes to us inviting every one of us to know his life. This church, every Sunday, we say the gate of heaven is here, friends. It is in Jesus Christ. So God comes near to this ragamuffin runaway and he speaks of his presence and he says, I'm with you, Jacob. I watch over you. God reveals his presence to Jacob and he makes promises. It's, It's so amazing. God binds himself to this crook he binds his identity his reputation the whole operation with someone like jacob jacob i'm going to give you descendants a home all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you i will not leave you until i do what i promise this this is who god is this is the good news god is not far off and removed from us he has come to us, inviting us into relationship with him, to know him, to love him, to enjoy his presence. And that's what makes Jacob's campsite a holy place. It was the presence of God that he, he knew, he experienced right there. And so Jacob declares, this is the house of God. Now you think of that and you think, well, isn't God present everywhere? Um, And if he's everywhere, then that would mean that we can find God everywhere, right? And yes, that's true. It is true. God is, you know, we we say that God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. David talks about that. Where can I go from your spirit, God? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I descend to the depths, you're there. So why does Jacob call this little patch of dirt the house of God, the gate of heaven, because it was a point of intersection it was a point where god not only was present but god revealed himself he made himself known it was a point where god encountered jacob what jacob thought was a patch of dirt and the stone it was actually a house of god it was a thin place you ever hear that term a thin place some people use that, uh, that phrase to describe those physical, geographical locations where it seems like the, the, the dividing line between heaven and earth are just especially thin, where God seems to break through and, and become present, where God breaks through the wall, the veil of our thickness, and our eyes are open to see the truth of who God is, to see life as it really is. We pray this place is a thin place where we encounter, where we behold the beauty of the living God, where God breaks through and wakes us up so that we can see. You know, we're having two pieces of furniture built that are not here yet. There's still lots going to happen in this renovation project. One of those pieces of furniture is a new pulpit. The other is a new communion table. And we're, along with our architects, we have a team of people from Knox providing some creative input and guidance on that And you think, those are just going to be material things, right? Pieces of wood, cup of wine, piece of bread. But they remind us of how God encounters us. Our eyes and our ears are opened as God speaks to us through his word. Promising, comforting, revealing. And at the table of communion, in a way that wakes up our senses, We taste and we see God's life that nourishes and feeds us. These are the ways that God continues. These means of grace are the the ways the risen Lord Jesus continues to intersect our life, meeting us, encountering us with grace and love. And so today we're asking God, we're setting aside, we're consecrating this space, this building as a holy place, a place of holy encounter, And what makes it holy, what makes it a sacred space isn't the building, it is the presence of the living Jesus among his people. Whenever we come to worship, it, we're not just coming to a building. The book of Hebrews is really helpful on this. It says whenever we come to worship, we enter a sanctuary. It's not a building built with stones. We come into the heavenly sanctuary. We worship together. We come into the very presence of angels and archangels, the souls of all God's people who have gone before the faithful, and the immediate presence of Jesus Christ. That's It's what we call the communion of saints that is worshiping with us this morning, the whole company of God's people and angels, the presence of God. And would God open us up to see that, to know that reality every Sunday? Maybe we need a dream to do that. Interesting, isn't it? How God used a dream to wake up Jacob. There's a term used these days to describe what happened Jacob woke Jacob got woke meaning Jacob was asleep pretty much before his life asleep to so much reality in heaven and on earth but in his dream his eyes were open and he saw life Jacob got spiritually woke and we live in a culture oh that needs to be spiritually woke Charles Taylor, a Canadian philosopher, talks about our secular age, and he talks about how our culture has just sort of squeezed out of life all its sacredness, and yet, he says, it is still so haunted by the sense of something more, haunted by the whispers, the rumors, the dreams of God. It's a culture that doesn't know how to make sense of those whispers, those dreams. May this be a sacred space where all those God-haunted dreams of our culture find their meaning and purpose in Jesus. I pray that the gospel story would be the interpreters of all those dreams, helping people to see and understand their true purpose in God's story, helping people to get woke to God and his presence in life. May this be a place where all people wake up to the living presence of God. May it be a place where we stay woke, a place where we live out the reality, where our life gets reoriented and redirected because of that encounter with God. In this story, Jacob's life gets totally redirected and reoriented. He wakes up a new person, and so he makes a vow. It's one of the longest vows in the whole Old Testament, And you might think, you know, if you read it, it looks like sort of a conditional he's making, but it's not. Jacob is yielding his life. He's reorienting himself around God's presence and his promise. And he goes off on his journey, but he goes off now a different man, now a carrier of God's grace and promises. May this sanctuary be like that, a place where our lives get reoriented by our encounter with God. Please, let's never believe this to be a lovely escape from the world around us. May the beauty and the aesthetics of this place not provide a place to avoid the pain and hardship of our world, because if that's the case, our worship will be false here. May this never be a place of escape, but a place of sending, where our lives get reoriented on Jesus, where our lives take the shape of the cross of Christ as we head out into a broken world. This past week, I saw a striking image for what I hoped this place might be. Why don't you put that on the screen? You might recognize it if you've seen it. It comes from Florida, where another tragic shooting has happened at a high school where over 17 people were killed. This picture is of a... Utterly broken, distraught women. Are, is she a mom? I don't know. A friend of the one who is just wailing? I don't know. but there she is, this picture of this woman consoling, comforting this overwrought, grief-stricken woman. It is a picture of shattering grief and horror. This, to various degrees, is the world in which we live. But look at the woman's forehead. She has a cross of ashes on it. She is fresh from an Ash Wednesday service where the cross of Christ has been traced on her forehead. She has been reoriented around Jesus and now carrying the sign of the cross, she enters a groaning creation, a broken world, to help and bring hope. This is what this place is for. For us to be so renewed and reoriented by the good news of Jesus Christ that it thrusts us into the sometimes very hard reality of a fractured, sin-stained world. Worship has to deal with real life. It is not an aesthetic intermission in a week of reality. Worship has to do with things like racial conflict and abuse and hunger and spiritual poverty and injustice. Enjoying God without seeking justice is just phony, Isaiah tells us. Worshiping God without obedience is just self-deception. So my heart's prayer, and I think you'd join me in this, is that this renovated sanctuary, that we see the glory of God magnified in all of our lives, that the unique worth and name of Jesus Christ is lifted high, that there is nothing fake or false, that there will be no joyless legalism here, but rather free, heartfelt, authentic, vital, life-giving, savoring of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit. Yes, that. But remember... The integrity test of this place, the test of our worship, is the life of obedience we live outside these walls. So may we be gathered around the fierce, resurrected life of Jesus Christ and sent with courage and hope into a sin-shattered world. May we say to others, you may not be able to see it. Maybe you're like Jacob, And you're just not aware of it. But in this pain, in this mess, in this brokenness, God is here. And there is a love that sits at the center of the world. There is a life you can know. There is grace and hope and reconciliation. So come and see. It's in Jesus. Come to church and get woke. Let's pray. Father in heaven, meet us, encounter us with the living reality of Jesus Christ. Wake us up, God, so that we never miss your presence, your life-changing grace. And as we come to this table now, this beautiful table of hospitality that you invite us to, we pray that this bread that this cup would become for us the living presence of Jesus. Feed us, nourish us with his life, we pray. Amen.